at the heart of it, the principles are the same, right? It's about relationships. The monkey in the group who has is typically at the top of the hierarchy. Hierarchy is not the biggest, fastest, strongest animal in the room. They're the one who puts the most emphasis on building relationships. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. The way people do business is often influenced by who they are, what they've studied, and how they learn. My guest today, Brandon Bennett, introduces himself as a social scientist disguised as a business leader. He shares how his studies in social sciences and primate psychology and some lessons from life have shaped the way that he does business. Let's dive right in. All right, Brandon Bennett, welcome to the show. Thank you for uh, making today happen. I love the fact that you are an early guy, which is a beautiful thing. What time do you start your day? It depends, but I, I like to race our some of our finance people to be the first ones in the office. It, it, to me, it's I love being here first, and it's where I get to do some of the fun stuff. You know, ask some questions, pull some reports, throw some things together that are just kind of percolating in the back of my mind and uh, have kept me up at night, perhaps, or things that I've just wanted to tackle. And I like being able to do that before the day starts and, and to open up the office, as it were. Yeah, I'm a big fan of being there early too. As as we were talking about the other day, I mean, I, I get more done before 7 a.m. and and after five actually than I do during the course of an entire day. Yeah, and it's stuff that often is really engaging, right? When you have the freedom and to do whatever you want, the work, whatever you choose, should be something that really gets you going, right, and gets you started for the day. Ain't that the truth? But let's quantify because I don't know who's listening. They might early to them might be a little different than early to you or I. You're a very early guy. What time are you typically in the office? I like to be in the office anywhere between six and six thirty, ideally. Obviously, it doesn't always work out, but that's what I shoot for. And when you say beat everyone in, I mean I'm assuming you probably got everybody beat by a minimum of a half an hour, probably an hour. Again, it depends. Some of the finance team, they like to be there very early as well. And some of them are working at the capital markets and we're with the time zones they are in pretty early. So it's always a bit of a race and a little bit of a feather in the cap for who got there first uh, because they sit right outside of my office as well. Gotcha. All right. (laughs) That's good stuff. So by the way, I just kind of jumped into the show, didn't even give you an opportunity to introduce yourself. If uh, you don't mind, just give a, uh, what's your elevator pitch? Yeah, so so Brandon Bennett, right, who I am, I always joke a bit about this. I'm a social scientist disguised as a business leader. While I have gotten my MBA and a lot of great experience in a business setting, that's not where I started off. 
in life. And so my background and a lot of the ways I approach business comes from a training around research, the social sciences, primate psychology, actually, even as well. And so I take a very analytical, a very you know, experimental approach to things. Some people call them pilots. I call them tests, right? Experiments. And I love to learn and grow and develop a hypothesis along the way while adding value to the business. Oh, I like that. That's good. So how far have we come as a species from primates? <laughs> In some ways, you know, it's incredible what, who we are and what we do, but at the same token, there's a reason why we study primates. And it's because primates will do pretty much anything that a human will do. In regards to empathy, in regards to aggression, and you can train a, a monkey to, to value money and start to have a little capitalistic society within their cohort. And it's funny to see them also build teams and families and relationships that matter. Huh. I didn't know that about the money. I have heard about the empathy and I have heard about the teams and things of that nature, but I didn't know. I mean, how do you teach them money? Well, you start to <clears throat> give them tokens and they can put them in and into a slot and it delivers food or some sort of reward. And after a while, they'll start trading them amongst themselves. And there's a, there are hierarchies and social structures. They are very social creatures, just like people. And so you do see how the hierarchy influences that trade and, and valuation as well. And, and again, we'll get back to more of your career, <laughs> but I'm, I'm so curious to how, you know, they say the past predicts the future. And can you relate that meaning the past as in primates being the species and to how it kind of predicts the future of, of humans? You were able to, does that make sense? Were you able to follow that? And if so, what do you see about the, like where we were to where we've, what we've become? You know, what I would say is if the past predicts the future, I would also say it helps to it defines the future. If I could change that a little bit, right? And what I mean by that is as advanced as we are and with the technology and the communication and the global mindset with all that we've learned and with all the you know, technology that's in front of us and, and the uncertainty of what that's going to look like at the heart of it the principles are the same right it's about relationships the monkey in the group who has is typically at the top of the hierarchy hierarchy is not the biggest fastest strongest animal in the room they're the one who puts the most emphasis on building relationships and grooming others and spending time with others. It's about the value of the group and the team instead of the value of the individual. It's about being there as parents, as leaders, and being there for those that you support and that impact that has on biology, on genetics, and at the end of the day, the family. And I think it's important as we think about the future that we remember those principles that drive where we've come from and that we need to make sure we keep those in the heart of what we do for the future. Wow, that's really powerful. And and when this actually podcast is over, I want to pick your brain about that. I mean, that just ties into so much of the work that I do in terms of the relationships, the importance of that building trust yeah. networks and things of that nature. So we're gonna have to carve out a couple extra minutes, but I'm not gonna, we won't bore everyone else that's listening to this regarding that. So back to you. No worries, I can get quite passionate about primates. Uh, my kids like to pick my brain on it still too, even years after the fact. So I'm assuming you you are a morning person, but although I have received emails or texts from you very late at night too, how much are you sleeping a day? You, 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 the question about early bird or night owl, I always ask, is there an option for a tired pigeon? And and that might be a better approach. I do like to wake up early. I find value in it. I've not always been that way. I grew up in college and even early career, very much a night owl and could stay up late to the wee hours of the morning. But I've changed that because, again, I find, while I prefer to stay up late, 
I am more effective when I wake up early. And so that's when I'm deliberate and trying to make an effort to be productive. I'm an early bird. But if I catch myself or if I have a little bit of insomnia, yeah, I'll open up my emails and I'll answer a few things and go from there. Get it done. Excellent. So mm-hmm. do you train yourself to be that? Is it more of like a, a getting back to the primate nature versus nurture? Maybe I trained. I think I would probably give more credit to my five kids for training me on that, particularly the twins that I have that, that taught me to wake up at whatever hour I needed to get it done. Great answer. Have you had any failures? And if so, is there a, a biggest failure that you've had? You know, failure is an interesting question, but I guess since it's just you and I, I'll, I'll be candid and honest, right? We're not going to post this on the internet or anything, but with failure, I remember the first time I was asked that question in an interview and I'll say I failed the answer at that time. And it's a hard one for me to think about because again, with a growth mindset, with a scientific background, so much of knowledge and what we know today came from experiments that failed and situations where people failed, but found something else and found out something else of value out of it. And so I do look at a lot of failure along that light. That being said, I think where I have felt like a failure, maybe where perhaps I, I took a path and had to backtrack a bit longer than I anticipated, was when I assumed something. And, and what I mean by that is, I remember I assumed growing up I wanted to be an anesthesiologist and was actually in pre-med for many years. And then I, fo- I followed a doctor for a week and realized I have no interest in this. It's a very fascinating subject, but I don't want to do this on a day-to-day basis and almost passed out seven times in the operating room, right? I think about times when I assumed that what motivates me and drives me isn't what drives other. And I remember that learning that very early on in a career, my career, that information does not equal conversion. And I can't assume that just giving people great information is going to get them on the same page as I am. And I also remember situations where I assumed that I knew what was going on with my team and was trying to manage them from those assumptions. And as I dove for understanding and realized what was truly going on, changed the approach dramatically and changed the conversation and changed the team. Man, I, I love that. I love that growth mindset. And you couldn't have answered that any better. I, there are a couple of quotes that kind of came to mind as you were describing failure, I guess, or it's such a terrible term, I guess. Mm-hmm. but it's, you know who Adam Grant is? Are you familiar with who he is? Uh, tell me more. It sounds familiar, but I, I mean, can't. He's like like a, I wouldn't even know how to like where to begin on Adam Grant, but, <laughs> but he's uh, the, the most recognized professor at Wharton. He's an organizational psychologist. He's written, mm-hmm. he's got his own podcast. I mean, he, he, he's he's a thought leader at the end of the day, and and he'll go down in history without a doubt, no question. But uh, and he's written a couple of really good, good books. And anyways, he's got one of my favorite quotes: "Is it's bad to fail, but it's even worse to." F- it's even worse to fail to try. And you know what you're saying reminded me of that. And then I don't know who said this, but I love the quote, the learn to fail or fail to learn. (laughs) I resonate with that one, right? I think if you are not failing, you're not pushing yourself hard enough, right? If, if, If you aren't embracing the unknown and riding the sails close to the storm, as it were, you aren't growing. And we do talk about how your growth comes out of the comfort zone and you got to push yourself and be in a place of uncertainty and discomfort. Push too hard, you're in survival mode and growth stops again. But there's that sweet spot of having a very fast wind behind you, but not in the heart of the, not in the hurricane, right? I like that. That's good. You got lots of pearls of wisdom coming out of there, Brandon. I like this. So you've had a really interesting background. I mean, from my perspective, you have fast tracked to the top. 
I mean, a relatively young guy. You've been, you've worked for some really good companies. You've been, you know, been directors of HR. You ran uh, global operations for a company that went public. Anything in particular, like, like what's the best skill set that you've acquired that has led to the success? I think one of the most powerful skill sets I've learned over the years is how to ask questions. Questions are powerful. And to be able to ask a good question really changes the game. And I think it does it in three different ways. First, if you know, I remember my son asked me once, Dad, what do you do? And I told him quite simply, I get smart people together and I ask them questions until they figure out the answer to their problems. <laughs> and that's the first thing that questions do is it frees you up to not have to be the smartest person in the room, to not have to know everything. You don't have to be the expert if you can ask the experts questions and bring that knowledge to light. When we talk about diversity and inclusion, asking a diverse group questions and bringing to light the things that are diverse and the things that are different, instead of focusing on what many groups do in those situations, what's common and what we share, I think that changes the game again. And so to take the role of a facilitator and as a leader or as an HR professional or as a in any strategy session allows you to drive the conversation without necessarily being the one to generate it, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. So that's such a great answer, by the way. And Tony Robbins says, he always says that quality questions create a quality life and, and yeah. successful people ask better questions. And as a result, they get better answers. And... <laughs> Yes, I agree with that. I, and, and it's such a difference it, because the second thing questions do, right? They focus the mind. And there's such a difference between asking the question of how was your day, which the answer is good. Everyone says that. How are you? I'm good. Versus asking people when you call them up for the first time, say, hey, what's the best part of your day? Or if it's a very early day, what are the, what's the thing you're looking forward to most today? Very different question, very different answer. The quality is dramatically different. And the same thing happens in teams. I mean, it's why lean manufacturing and, and you know, continuous improvement, five whys. Ask why over and over again, because it focuses the mind to not go down the side paths, not get distracted by the symptoms, but to get to the heart of things, right? So true. And then I think the final thing with questions is, I think it's an ego killer, but I think it's what trains people. If I tell you to go do something, you learn to execute that very well. If I ask you, how would you do that? What's the implications of that? I changed the training about execution versus analytics, thinking through it, being able to generate it on my own without having to come to me as the leader every time with the solution. And I think that frees you up as a leader to be able to delegate, grow your people, and for you to do other things and answer other interesting questions, right? Where'd you learn this? Where did I learn this? I learned this along the way. I learned this in, again, science is about asking questions. You have your question that you're trying to answer. You, you have your experiment that you based around it and you try to prove it right or wrong. I learned it from facilitation and a, and a leader who taught me how to be a great facilitator and ask interesting questions and be comfortable with the silence, but also recognize when you need to answer, ask a different question, right? You know what? That was a bad question. Let me ask it differently. And I think HR, we know this. At the heart of this, we know this. We assume this in so many of our processes. There's a reason why we interview with behavioral-based questions. Instead of saying, tell me what great leadership is. Well, everyone knows the answer to that. Mm -hmm. That's a very different question than, tell me about a time when you applied your leadership to motivate a team, right? And so we know this even at the heart of who we are, whether we can quantify that or make that conscious. We understand that the questions we ask matter. 
And, and that drives a lot of what we build. And it's, I think it's helpful to recognize that and make sure you're asking the right questions to drive the conversation. So true. So true. When we were talking the other day, you talked to me about these principles of HR success, the four principles. Can you identify what those are and can you expand a little bit on those? Yeah. I mean, even as we talk, I have them on four sticky notes at the bottom of my computer screen and I can see them. And they're reminders to me of four principles that define who I am, right? Make something as simple as possible, but not simpler. This is probably the core of, of who I am and what I try to bring to the table. I think it's always a good to, a reminder to have, and there's a reason why I have it on my screen is to be the reminder. First one, and we, we've touched on it a bit today, is growth. I do embrace the growth mentality and embrace failure and embrace the learnings that come along the way. And the trick with that, right, the higher calling that's hard for us to remember is if I give myself that same leeway to learn through failure, I have to allow it of others. And that's important for HR to remember because we do see people as they grow along the way. And we need to let people grow and not just pigeonhole them within the, the, the different policies and results and, and performance improvement plans, right, that we often throw at them. So growth is the first principle. Humanity is the second one. And what I mean by humanity and what that means to me is, again, the psychology background, I think humanity is amazing. We are these paradoxes wrapped up in, in cognition, which I think is just a fascinating little thing where there's so much driving us around emotion, around logic. And for one action, we could say there's 50 reasons for it. I think it all actually be the wrong reason behind it. And, and I think it's interesting to recognize that while we want to be predictable and we want to be rational, we are predictably irrational, right? Another great book out there that kind of highlights the biases and the things that go on within us. And I think it's important as we work with people that we recognize what humanity is and the paradox that we are, that we can feel 50 different conflicting emotions at once. And that's okay. And that's very common to most of us. The third principle is reason. I, and you've heard it in me and, and I do like that rational approach and I love analytics. I like being able to dig in numbers. I like seeing where the metrics have moved and where the actions we're taking are having an impact in the business and the culture and the engagement. And so I think that we should do things for a reason. We should be able to say why we are doing things and we should be able to measure that. And that can be tricky in HR, but there's a lot of interesting things in that place. The final one is, is a fraction. It's one over one. And what that means to me and what that symbolizes is the value of the individual, that everyone who comes into my office, everyone who says, hey, do you have five minutes? Every person that I work with is an individual. They are unique. And they bring something unique that I is valuable. And there's value in the one over one. And we should be aware of that and make sure that we're thinking about that as we build enterprises and organizations and companies and bring them to life. We need to recognize that the, the basic building block of that is the individual. I've never heard that one before. Is that something that you kind of made up or I've never heard of that term, the one over one? You know, it comes, it was actually inspired by my father who, was a mar who has worked in the, the jewelry high-end retail space. And it was a campaign that they had put around their diamonds was that these diamonds are unique. These diamonds are individual. And I saw a metaphor in that. And, and I saw an analogy that very much applied to people and the people that I was working with in an HR and the thing about that and, and each of these principles to me, HR is a field where it can be dangerous. It can be vulnerable in the sense that we do are exposed to a lot of things. I mean, I was on a Facebook group last night, an HR Facebook group, and someone was posting about how in their plan someone had tried to commit suicide. 
and how they had to be there for them. And they call 911 and be a first responder. And, and the question they're asking themselves was, was I professional enough? And then to hear the response of, hey, you can be human in that situation, right? And and because of what we're exposed to, I think some people put a, a layer of cynicism on top of themselves. We hear, right? Oh, these people are people are stupid, or these groups are rolling their eyes when people come to their office and those sort of things. It's a defense mechanism against some of the things that can hurt us as we terminate people, as we remove them from the organization, as we have very difficult conversations or see people at their worst. And to me, these principles help me live with that and not become cynical, to embrace it and be vulnerable in some ways, and to still be a human at the end of the day. And I found that very valuable, particularly in a field and a function that more than most can make you cynical if you're not careful. That's a great point. And to your point about the showing the personal side and valuing the individual, it's really interesting. A couple uh, months ago, I was at uh, lunch with a, a CHRO of a pretty established firm. And, and while we're at lunch, he, you know, he kept getting this uh, call from this one person. And eventually he took it because he clearly realized something must be going on here. And it was one of his executives. Mm-hmm. And it was one of his executives. And the quick and dirty is the guy was also suicidal. And it was so amazing to see this guy just kind of quickly put on a different hat (laughs) to kind of talk this guy off the ledge, literally and figuratively. And to see the way that he did that, I was like, oh, that was magical what he just did. So again, to your point, you you do have to wear a lot of different hats. And I'm sure there's probably even more principles than the four that you laid out. And just to actually recap and correct me if I'm wrong, I think reason was one, growth mindset was one, humanity. And then the, I don't know if you call it a one over one or you just call it a fraction, but did I articulate those properly? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the things that drive me. Powerful. Something that you mentioned earlier and also when we spoke the other day, old and best practices. Can you elaborate on those? And and, and I'd love to know why they frustrate you. Definitely. So much of HR, you think about our history, where we came from, and the reason why there is HR, it's it's very much grown. And so you're going from personnel to human resources to people capital, right? And then chief people officers and people operations. And, and actually, we there's a big good Venn diagram now between HR around people and operations, right? Because they do overlap. And as you think about some of the practices that we embrace, preach, teach, and bring others into, they're old practices, and we know they don't work. We know that with recruiting, there's a 50% success rate for a hire, that we made a good hire. We know that the week that an organization is the most disengaged is a week immediately following annual performance reviews and merit communications, right? And it is, there's research around this, right? There's also research that shows that my performance review is more reflective of my leader than it is of my performance. And and that my performance is only like, I think it's like 13 to 20% of my performance review rating. And, And we have these practices and we perpetuate them and we know they're not the best. And it's because we've inherited them and because HR is built on this principle of precedence, right? This is what we've done and we need to be fair and consistent. And that's why they frustrate me is because there's a better way. There's got to be a better way. And we're and it's fun. We talk about why is this an exciting time to be in HR? One of the reasons why it's exciting is because we know we should be better. As we've got, as we've earned our seat at the table and demonstrated that HR has value, has strategic value and can move the needle, 
we start measuring how we move the needle. And I think we realized, oh, shoot, we have some gaps here. And so you do see companies blowing apart performance management, struggling to figure out what to fill in that void, right? And, and some of them end up putting it back together just with a different marketing campaign. And at the end of the day of it, with, with interviews, I, we know some things that work better, but they're not things that you can scale and, and you know have, have it be economical or even work within the legal practices of different countries. And so we're trying to figure it out and we're using AIs and, and technology and machine learning to help us out in it. But the same token, we, I think we got to be careful that we're not, as machines learn from us that they're not learning those old and best practices. I think, and, and you've heard it in me, when I get together with HR people, and many conferences are focused around, oh, let's share this case study and the best practice, right? Around how do you put this training program together? Or how do you build a good mentorship program? And, and the leader will go through and tell you, hey, here's what we did and here's our approach and here's what you can do. At the end of the day, no, I can't. I can't copy and paste that to my organization. It will not succeed. Tell me instead of best practices, what were the principles that you were wrestling and balancing the paradoxes that kind of come as you deal with an organization and individuals and the business? And how did you manage those paradoxes? Help me understand that and how I can do that in my organization, because I'm probably dealing with those same paradoxes, but I'm going to bring come to a different solution than you did because I can't copy and paste it. Toyota all the time, right? They talk about lean manufacturing. They bring people all the time in to see their plants. You want to see lean manufacturing? Come on in. Come see what we do. We'll show you everything. Walk the floor with us. And they did it because they knew as people tried to just take those, oh, they, they do shadow boards. We got to go do shadow boards. Oh, they do this 5S or 5Ys. Let's go do that. They knew that they couldn't apply those in those companies because they weren't the same company. It wasn't the same culture. It wasn't the same team. And so they'd be applying a practice without understanding the principles behind it. It's so interesting. So I just had a conversation earlier this week with a, a very renowned chief people officer. He's been with some major organizations and he echoed almost verbatim, you know, your sentiments. And and it, he really did. He's all principle based. It's all it, the, And principle and culture. That was, yeah. was, was he said, everything kind of, kind of starts there. When you think about it, it, it there's, I think about it this way. When I was growing up, someone taught me how to make a paper airplane. That's that classic paper airplane, right? Fold it in half, fold the corner, fold the corner again, make your wings, throw it. It's a dart, right? Yep. And there's a huge difference between knowing how to make a paper airplane and having it fly and understanding the principles of aerodynamics of thrust, lift, drag, and force, right? All that stuff. Because once I understand that, then I can play with that model. I could design a paper airplane that fits what I wanted to do. Do I want it to fly a long time? Do I want it to be fast? Here's some things I'm going to do. I'm going to change the nose. I'm going to make the wings larger. Do I want it to spin in a circle? I can tear a little flap so it catches the wind. And I think it's very terrifying in some ways to think about us as leaders, HR leaders, taking best practices, taking a paper airplane that someone showed us, or quite honestly, flying a jet without understanding the, the, the principles behind it. Because it's going to damage, we're going to crash at the end of the day if we do that. And you have to understand the principles so you know how to adapt the model, how to fly your plane, and how to land it safely for your people. I love metaphors. <laughs> You're doing a good job with the, making that happen. You really put a good visual out there as well. Awesome. Good stuff. Thank you. I, we're running a little tight on time. I'd love to talk a little bit 
about the experience that you had going through taking a company public. Is, is there anything that you can share? I mean, I know that's a topic of a whole other uh, podcast, but yeah. uh, if, you, if you don't mind, uh, please share that experience. It was a great, ex- yeah, it was a great experience and, and one that was a bit of an Everest moment for me. I remember when I was going through the interview process and realized I might actually get an offer here and, and being a little afraid of getting an offer. And I dug into that about what am I afraid of? Well, at the end of the day, it's on me, right? It, it, we're, we're talking hyper accountability. There's no more being a part of organization and saying, oh, that's not part of the strategy or it's not in the budget, right? At the end of the day, everything people related was going to, to rest on me. And it's funny, once I defined that, it stopped scaring me and it got me excited, which I think is a, that's been my North Star, that, that mix of fear and excitement. If I feel that, I know I'm headed the right direction in the world. And so, so once I defined that, I leaned into it. And, and what a great experience, right? To be a part of a company that's going through growth, asking questions about who we are, trying to keep that core identity as you balance and you hear what people value with you and how do you stay true to that and dealing with things at a 30,000 foot level as you think about strategy and culture and people and those principles but then at the same token because it's a small lean team going immediately in the weeds and having to deal with that pressure change and processing I-9s and onboarding people and hiring and then making sure payroll's paid, right? And then scaling it. And so one of the things I learned from that is a couple of things. Principles scale when policy and procedures don't. And you have to, especially with a group that is growing and changing quickly, you have to arm your leaders with those principles and say, hey, here's why we're rolling out this goal setting tool, right? Sure, it's a platform. Sure, there's a login. Yes, there's a program behind it. But the principles behind the program are your people need to know what you want, what they need to be successful. You should be having conversations with them. And this is going to help you do that. But the principle is this. Here's why you're and here's how we're going to do it. Simon Sinek, right? Start with the why. The other thing I learned is culture pivots on a hinge, And what I mean by that is you get big swings from little things. And when your team is only 150 people, one bad hire makes a difference to the culture. When your team is open floor and you can see everyone, saying hi to someone as you come in impacts the culture. Not saying hi has an impact on the culture. How you deal with people who are taking vacation or not taking vacation, right? All these little hinges have a big swinging effect on the culture. And, and I think it's important to recognize that because at the end of the day, when we do these engagement surveys in large organizations and what we're trying to do at these enterprise solutions, we got to remember it swings on these hinges. So identify those hinge points that matter and make sure you're facing the right direction with it. Wow. <laughs> That's really good stuff. I'm like taking notes here as you're talking. <laughs> I have to listen to this one a couple times, and I hope those who are, are listening listen a couple times as well. I'll have to listen to it too because I feel like I'm learning some things talking through some of it out loud too. So, well, that, it's funny they say that's some of the best ways to learn is actually to you know after you've read something or studied something or listened to something is to the right write notes and then kind of put them into your own words and then uh, share them with other people. So I I hope you do. I got to tell you, this has been a great conversation. There were so many other questions that I had and selfishly, I'm going to get to when we turn this uh, this off. (laughs) Are you open if other people want to reach out to pick your brain? 
Oh, always, always. I love the conversation, right? And it's, again, the humanity aspect of it. The world's a small, wonderful place. And I think it's always fascinating how the wheel turns. And so you think about networking, it's never about what can you do for me? It's just make a connection with a human being and, and know that that's worth enough. I love that. So I'll try to do a quick recap, but I mean, we talked about the importance of, you know, again, just like what you brought back home, the relationships, it starts from a primate standpoint, having that growth mindset, the importance of asking and not just asking uh, questions, but how to ask good questions. Keep trying to make things simple. The four principles of HR success. I mean, your your metaphors are great. I, I love how, and again, getting back to the common theme that I saw was just the importance of principles. Th- this was great. Brandon, I, I really appreciate you making today happen. And I want to thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. I appreciate what you're doing and, and the conversations you're curating and sharing with who we are and what we're trying to be in HR. So thank you for that. You got it, my friend. Make it a great day. Likewise. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise. Network Wise.